Hi, and welcome to the Curator Salon podcast with me, your host, Gita Joshi. Today, I'm going to be talking to Michael Petri, who is a curator and director at the Museum of Contemporary Art, also known as MOCA, in Peckham, South London, and most recently, the author of a new book called The Word is Art, published by Thames and Hudson in October 2018. Welcome, Michael. All right, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. We're sitting here in Peckham, uh, and we were talking about how uh, diverse the art scene is, and it is really quite amazing what's happening in Peckham. Uh, and there's such a demand for not just the visual arts, but the performing arts. And one of the interesting things for me is that the books that I do usually become touring exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the word is art follows on from several uh, other books I've done from for Tepson Hudson. Um, the, um, the the last one was called Nature Mort: Contemporary Artists Reinvigorate the Still Life Tradition, and that was a very big international touring exhibition uh, of, of about eighty five works of art uh, that went to four different museums across the EU. Uh, uh, and it finished earlier this year at London's Guildhall. Um, and we would right now be planning to do the tour of the word is art, uh, except for Brexit, uh, which is preventing all of the institutions that we have worked with uh, abroad from committing to it because, of course, they have no idea what our status is going to be uh, on April the 1st uh, next year. Um, many people won't know that um, when you bring an artwork into the EU, you have to pay 20% VAT on the insurance value of that. Now, what that means is even if it's a museum and you're not selling the work, they it's, it's like a bond. And in the last show, we had two Mark Quinns, and we had all—I mean, we had all sorts of really fantastic artwork, and the value was incredibly high. Now, if you imagine your museum, you don't have the cash flow to put twenty percent up of the insurance value of of that sort of work. So, all of those institutions are saying to us, if you have a hard Brexit and you are not in the EU, and you are not in any kind of customs union, then what that means is we cannot bring that work over because we won't have the money. And what's worse, if we had started the tour and the work was over there, we would have real difficulty getting it back to London because we don't know what the, the, the arrangement will be. Uh, one in in terms of what the UK is going to do uh, in ter- terms of tariffs against the EU. So all these institutions that we've been talking with, we've been working with for 10 years, have been unable to plan. And an exhibition on that scale does not happen in six days or six months. I mean, these are things that we're planning for years. Um, and so it's not just... Mocha London. I mean, uh, about a month ago in the Evening Standard, um, the director of the V&A made, you know, a similar case and said, you know, we, we, the V&A may have to close for six months. And it was, you know, really shocking. And, and people were really kind of outraged that this, that no one in government has listened or talked to, uh, those of us in the creative sector, as they call it. Um, and 
I personally knew someone who worked for David Davis when he was um, the Brexit minister. And I said to them, I need to talk to you because I need to talk to the minister and I need him to understand what he's going, what they're doing and what they're suggesting. They don't seem to have even any notice of the arts. And the first reply from his assistant was, well, why should he? You don't mean anything. I mean, you, you, arts don't matter. And and I know this is the, the attitude of so many in government, both Labour and Conservative, you know, are very dismissive of the arts. And I said to him, what percentage of the economy is car manufacture in this country? And he knew it was about, it's about 2%. And I said, that's why, of course, you've had Mitsubishi and all these people come in. I said, do you know what the, the, the creative industry's GDP percentage is? And he said, no, what is it? I said, 6%. We are three times larger. And you don't even know that. And you're trying to organize this Brexit. And you're not even talking to us. And you're, you're dismissive of me when I say, I need to talk to you. And you're not, you're, you're not talking to anyone in the creative industry. And that's really problematic because what you're proposing is going to hurt not just the visual arts. It's going to really mess up the performing arts. Because if we go out in a hard Brexit, Everyone will need a work permit, myself included. So when I go to curate a show, I'll need a work permit. Now, imagine you're an orchestra with 100 performers. Every single person in that orchestra will need a work permit. The orchestra doesn't get a work permit. Each individual member ha will have to get a work permit. The amount of admin, uh, the cost, everything, it's just going to be crazy for orchestras to go and tour or a ballet company or a dance company. And so I, I said to him, do you understand we are a huge part of this economy and you are not thinking about us and you won't even speak to us? So he was really he moved by that. So he went to David Davis and said, you know, you need to speak to these, you know, if not him, someone, you know, the V&A or whatever. And was told, oh, I don't want to hear any negatives, only bring me positives. And so he refused to meet me. And from what I understand, he's, that, that he refused to meet any of the creative industries. Uh, because we, uh, because there are no positives for us for Brexit. You know, bring me positives. There is no positive for us in Brexit of any color. So, um, you know, w w from the point of view of this book, you know, we would already be getting underway to start this exhibition tour, but we can't. That's so, uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, it, people don't really understand that this is going to affect people all across the board in so many ways, whether it's, whether it's your medication, whether, whether it's, it's food production or import. And, you know, in the creative industry, I don't think a lot of people who are not working all the time in Europe, um, are aware. And at MOCA, we often have, um, Erasmus interns, you know, and will we be able to do that again? I mean, because once we leave the EU, the Erasmus system, which allows students from anywhere in the EU to travel somewhere else, um, certainly I don't think English students will be able to go anywhere else, but we have no idea whether uh, European students will be able to come to the UK. And it's not just in the arts. I mean, I, I, all the universities have been saying to 
the Brexit officials. Do you understand if we lose the Erasmus students, we are going to lose a massive amount of money? You know, because it all comes with with funds attached and all sorts of things. So, you know, it's it's not just the arts. It's not just car manufacturers. It's not just the university. It's across the board. And I, I think it's really unbelievable that, you know, just yesterday or today, I can't remember what um, Jeremy Corbyn has come out and said, I'm backing Brexit again, you know, at this very late date and is saying, uh, you know, I will, if I get made PM, I will push for Brexit. <laughs> and of course, it's really destructive to the the young people. I mean, I'm, I'm not a young person, uh, you know, and I, I, I think about all these kids and their futures are going to be really blighted, you know. And as an artist, as a student, you know, you're not going to be able to go, uh, in, I mean, you in the way that I was able, you know, to just go across Europe and work and do, you know, do things. And the number of people I know who live in Berlin, you know, as artists or, you know, with Stockholm, anywhere, you know, what are, the, what are their opportunities? They're not going to have those opportunities. So I'm, I'm afraid that's a depressing start to our, our, our podcast, but it, but it's, it's a really a real thing that's affecting, um, this book and what we normally do with the, the launch of something like this. So what would you, uh, what state are you at with this then? Are you just going to have to wait and see? Or? Well, we're putting together the, I mean, the exhibition is curated. <laughs> you know, we've talked to the artists. And if we can have a show that travels, we will. But up until we know what's happening, uh, none of the institutions in mainland Europe uh, are able to consider you know, what they, they can do and therefore put into their schedule when we might have this exhibition. So it's, it's really, uh, everything is delayed in a way that we, we, we found ourselves in this situation unexpectedly as does everyone else. That's incredible. So, I mean, I'm guessing that's also affecting how you might get your funding as well, not just with the museum when they pay to yeah. you know, have the work there or on the insurance and things, but also if you're applying for funding, what you'd be able to do with it and what you can't. Well, I mean, I think what's really um, important for people to understand is that the the funding for the arts is probably going to all but disappear in this country once we have Brexit because there will be, I mean, a massive crash, you know, in, I mean, in, in living standards and everything from, from what I read. And we were already seeing it. The pound has fallen, you know, you know, it just some, you know, country companies are already leaving, um, you know, the UK. I mean, what we will be in a situation at is, you know, people are going to say pay for the NHS, you know, which is good, good thing, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and other kind of social systems. Uh, and I think the arts are, are not going to, we're not going to have funding from the arts councils and things like that. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I think there's going to be very little amount of that. And, and everyone will have to rethink, you know, what uh, their plans are. Do you think that's also only if you were looking to do things internationally? I mean, how much do you think Brexit's going to affect how much they give to, or, you know, funding bodies are giving to UK-based people? I, I think that pot is going to shrink. Mm. I mean, you know, I think that pot will shrink immeasurably uh, because, you know, when a politician stands up in the House and says, why are we giving 100 million to the arts when, you know, we, should, we don't have enough 
nurses or we don't, you don't have enough police. You know, it's a, it, it, it's a stupid, you know, argument and you shouldn't be comparing apples and oranges, but that's the sort of thing that we've heard it before. You know, and then we know, and, and I know that's going to happen. And as 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 it tightens, you know, uh, the, the the crunch uh, tightens, it will be harder for the people like myself to say, well, look, according to the government's own figures, every pound the government spends on the arts, they get 10 pounds back because that money is seeding the tourist economy. Because what happens, why do people come to Britain? To see a nurse? No. To see a policeman? No. They come to see the Tate Modern. They come to see the Serpentine. They, 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 they come to see the theater or the opera. I mean, and when they are here, they then spend on hotels and they spend on, in restaurants and all of that. And that's the, what, where, where it comes in. They spend one pound, they get 10 pounds. So, you know, if, if you actually say to that, that MP who stands up and says, why should, should every single pound go to the nurses? You say, because then you lose tenfold. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't know the, the, the these are government statistics. They're, I'm not making them up. That's the amazing thing is when, when you say this back to government, they say, yeah, that's true. That, that, that is absolutely true. And so, you know, economically, it makes sense to give to the arts because it generates more money. But, you know, politically, the optics of that, you know, can be made to look bad. Yeah, I think that's where the arts always get sort of seen as a, like a luxury. A luxury. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're in Peckham and we are very embedded in the neighborhood. And, and you know that. And we, we do a lo- lot of outreach. And we have people come who would never have been to a, a gallery. And, you know, they, and they often ask uh, us to help them find um, something for their kids. And we do, you know, because they, you know, they, they don't have the tools or have never been aware of how they might get their, their kids into a, a school where there's performance. Because of course now so many schools don't have arts and don't have performance. And you know, the working class kids, of course they are talented, but they're, they're being denied these opportunities. And I think it's going to get worse. So do you think investment in the arts, even through the educational sector, is going to be shrinking? Yes, because they're going to be forced. You know, government has already said it's the, you know, uh, I don't know what they call it, but, you know, science, math. Oh, that's right. uh, And everything. So, you know, it's about gearing students, kids up to go into jobs, Mm. you know, and, and not, you know, educate them. It's about training them to do things as opposed to educating them. And that's, that's some, that's something that's been going on for probably 20 years. Um, and be, and during that time, you know, the arts have fallen off all the sorts of different curriculum. Which is interesting. You know, like you say, they're training people for jobs, which is actually, I think, something that's been going on for decades. It's just evolved into different forms, you know, going back to, you know, gearing, young people just for jobs because it seems the climate more internationally at the moment is actually more entrepreneurial anyway because most artists most curators yeah. have like a freelance element to yeah. to how we work and things like the dig- digital sort yeah. of um, sphere has really opened up more opportunities yeah. for us to f- be found uh, find opportunities ourselves collaborate and all of that and yet you know education is just setting people up for jobs down a very handful of sectors. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think the, the new technology is a great thing and that, as you say, has enabled people to connect. And, you know, 
um, we at MoCA, you know, we don't have a permanent subsidy from the Arts Council or anything like that. You know, we are very entrepreneurial. We have to find the funding for all our projects. Um, and that's, that's fine. I mean, we, we've never actually asked to be part of that system because it's, it's a very fragile kind of system, uh, unless you're Tate Modern, you know. Um, and so, um, I don't have any issue with being entrepreneurial. Um, but I think if you train kids not to be entrepreneurial, you train them to do things, then you limit their horizon. You know, and that's what education should be. It's about opening up your horizon so that you can do all those things uh, or you can see that opportunity when it's there. And if, all, if the only thing you see as an opportunity is, oh, I've got to get a job, then you know, something much more fulfilling may come your way and you may not even see it. So, I mean, and, you know, when, you know you're talking about the sort of international um, interactions on the web. I, I'm going to kind of turn the focus a little bit to the book. Uh, you know, this is an incredibly international book. I mean, I think we have over 60 languages represented. You know, we have, we've got Arabic, we've got Cantonese, we've got uh, Tibetan, we've got Korean, we have Thai, uh, we have Spanish, we have Italian, you know, I mean, and, you know we have artists from all around the world. It's, and, and even within, um, say, the Arabic language, you know, we have, we, we've got a, an artist who's Tunisian, we have a Lebanese artist, um, we, um, we've got a, an Iraqi artist, you know, we've got an Egyptian artist, you know, so it's not that it's even just, oh, yes, all, you know, they're all the same. You know, all these people who are speaking Arabic, they're all the same. No, we really, you know, I have really tried to, to represent different nationalities because everybody across the world is using text in art. And that comes very much from the web. And my, my idea for the book uh, was that, you know, uh, probably about five years ago, there was a real concern that text, bought books, were really going to go all digital. Everything was going to go ebooks, and, you know, um, people were worried about, you know, publishing and books and uh, because of the internet. And then, of course, what happened is that everyone became a writer. Everyone also became a photographer taking selfies, but, but everybody also became a writer because you're making text all the time. Yeah, it's so true. And you're reading all the time. And you may, you're, you're the new words like LOL or whatever, you know, you have to learn the, the language of the, of, of this new system or you have to learn emojis, but you're still reading, you know, and, and you're writing. And so instead of language becoming less important, language has become unbelievably important. And that's why the book is really timely because again, people are aware that language is is so part of the visual arts and and, and you know and we, we, I've, I've, there's a chapter in the book on new media and so we've even got a couple of examples of artists who work creating gifs gif uh -huh. gifs not gifs <laughs> and we've got a qr code in the book and if you take your smartphone and you scan the qr code up on your phone will come the artwork, which exists only as, you know, truly as a GIF. So it's very, you know, as, as a, as a 
hard old fashioned thing, a book, it's even connecting you to the internet and you know, in the, real time, the, in real time, in it, real time, as you read, if you yeah. want, you just take your smartphone and do it and bang, you've got it. And, and funnily enough, this happened last night because I showed it to someone and they were like, Really? Let's see it. And they tried it and they couldn't believe it. And I said, yeah, there you go. It works. You know, so, uh, I, I, you know, and the funny thing about new technology is new technology today is old technology tomorrow. You know, so, you know, uh, who, who knows how long the new technology element will, will be new, but it's, it's really, you know, important for a book like this to be, to, to show not only the the works uh, like there's a chapter on installation, there's a chapter on sculpture, there's a chapter on painting. You know, so, you know, if you, if you think of a, someone like Ed Ruscha, you know, who's very famous for his paintings that include words. You know, or that really are based in text. You know, uh, I mean, that's the kind of work that you know has lasted you know fifty years already. Um, I think those gifts. Who knows what's going to happen in fifty years? I mean, you know, that, I'm, I doubt they will be ex- on the internet uh there'll be something else but it'll be you know it'll be an interesting kind of situation for what happens to those new media things so when you first came up with the idea of the book was it that you were just seeing was it that sort of fear of um publishing sort of going or dying away or was it that you'd sort of seen a lot of text in art and you sort of felt that that all needed to be brought together and then perhaps, you know, not categorized, but, you know, put the, the way into the chapters that you've chosen. Well, or was it the other way around, actually? Did you have- it's actually quite different from that um, in the sense that uh, in all the books that I've written, they come from my own practice as a visual artist. You know, I, I'm first and foremost an artist. And in, in the, the 80s, I was making installation art. And for a long time, there was no name for it, even what we were doing. And then, you know, it just sort of came within the way that other artists, we were all talking about it, but, you know, this, in, you know, it was like, well, I'm making an installation. And, you know, in the, in the late eighties, you know, people would ask me, well, what is an installation? You know, I would try to explain it, you know, and, uh, and my mother asked me, you know, what's an installation? Oh. And, and I thought, I got to find a book for her because I mean, I'm never going to be able to explain this properly to her. And there was no book. And so I went to Thames and Hudson and I called them and I asked to speak to one of the editors, uh, Nico Stangos, uh, who was one of their famous editors. And I said to him, do you know what installation art is? And he said, no. And I said, that's why you need me to write you a book. And he said, okay, come in. We have a meeting. And we had a meeting and I came out of there and he said, fine, here, write a book. Incredible. And so, uh, so uh, the very first book on installation art is mine in the world. Uh, and that's because Thames and Hudson were very forward thinking and they understood, oh, wow, we don't know what this is. If we don't know what it is, yeah, but a lot of other people don't. And, you know, when the book came out, there was a lot of contention. Oh, this, that's not insulation. And it, it started a real dialogue around it. And by the time we brought out a second volume, not, not a revised, but a completely new book that looked at it called um, Insulation in the New Millennium, that was about 10 years in between, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, 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 by that point, um, the world had caught up, you know, and un- understood this is insulation or that's insulation. It is how it's different from sculpture. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it stopped being the necessity. The book, the, we you know, you didn't need a book anymore to tell you, you know, you, right. you, uh, and the, 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 the book that I did, uh, t- two books back, which we did a very big tour for, well, again, was called The Art of Not Making. Oh, yeah. The New Artist Artisan Relationship. Uh-huh. And 
in that period, I went from making very temporary installations to very large-scale installations that often featured glass and very beautiful objects, very big. And so people were always asking me, how do you blow glass? And I said, I don't know. I don't do that. I, I mean, I design it and I'm there when they're blowing it and I oversee it, but I don't actually produce it. I don't blow the, the glass. And it occurred to me at that point, I thought, that's an interesting thing, you know, and, and the, the more I started looking around, of course, if you look at a lot of the work by YBAs, it's all produced by Mike Smith and, and other fabricators. And I thought, well, and of course, this is a very historic way of making. You, you know, that's what the book, that, that, that's the core of the book is to say, well, actually, it seems like it's new, but it's actually very old. And so it came from people asking me about that. And is that like going back to, let's say, Renaissance Atelier? Absolutely. Like absolutely. That, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so the Nature Mort book, the last one, came about because I was making these works that I thought, in a curious way, I thought these are like still lives. And I thought, oh, it's so weird that I'm making this kind of old-fashioned work. You know, is it? It must be old-fashioned because it's a still life. And I thought, I wonder if anyone else is kind of making still lives. And of course, as soon as I it came in my mind, I started looking, and it was like, oh, actually, everyone is using it as a metaphor for death, which is what the traditional still life is. It's a metaphor for death, and it's like this is how we in the 21st century can talk about death which is not in a kitschy way, but in a sophisticated way, and actually say, well, actually, this is a tradition that goes very far back, um, all, all the way back to the Greeks, you know, the, the, uh, still life, uh, which talks about mortality. And that's why people, uh, so many people are using this metaphor because it's something that, I mean, we've had continuous war for the last 20 years, you know, and, and you know, terrorism, you know. And so I think a lot of people... Well, most people are aware of the fragility of our lives. And, you know, these idiots flying drones into Gatwick, you know, they, they, they could have killed someone. They could have killed a whole plane load of people. I mean, I don't think that's what they were trying to do, but, you know, the, 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 the possibility was, was really there. And we are just more aware of how at risk we are. You know, and as Londoners, we've seen terrorist attacks, yeah. you know, and so people are, are aware. I mean, I think the great thing about Londoners is it's like, you know, people said to me, oh, I, oh, you can't get on the tube. It'll be, it'll be dangerous. You know, and I'm like, we're Londoners. We're on that tube tomorrow. <laughs> you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to let that stop us. And, and people didn't. And, and so there's a kind of resilience, but we're, there is a, a, a realization that death is something that was in the background. So. All the way coming back to the word is art, a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment is word-based, installations and things like that. And it occurred to me when I was making this, I thought, oh, you know, the, uh, I've kind of shifted and I bet other people have too. And I, you know, started looking and then, of course, it became very clear to me that everybody across the world is, is looking towards text, text yeah. you know, and so um, that's where the book came out of. Do you think that is, I mean, what, what is the thing that's made people really want to use text? Do you think it is social media? Do you think it is like a graffiti tradition? I mean, it's sort of born out of many things, like being, like even advertising and then making statements. Um, I, I think, well. I think text is now everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, if something's in your consciousness uh -huh. as an artist, I don't see how you cannot at least interact with it. I mean, that doesn't mean that someone like, Sean Scully has to, you know, 
he's an interesting painter, uh, doesn't use text in any way. But, but you know, I, I'm sure he's aware, you know, of, of works that, that are textual. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think it's, it's just something that is in the air. Um, and I'm sure he does use email. And, you know, and maybe he doesn't do his own uh, Facebook <laughs> and, and Twitter and stuff. But, you know, he will at least be directing what, what needs to, to go into that dialogue. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a big Twitter fan, uh, but again, you know, that, that's a new way of speaking. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's, it's very limiting in the sense that you can't put across nuanced ideas. It's absolutely black and white. You are an idiot. You know, that's a Trump one. <laughs> you know, or I'm the greatest, that's a Trump one. You know, you know, I mean, you know, you can only get this kind of soundbite thing, you know, whereas I'm much more interested in poetry. <laughs> I'm much more interested in long prose stories. Twitter just forces you into this very tiny mm. kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, we, I, I don't think we're going to have a Twitter poet, you know, we certainly have online poets. You know, but I, I mean, and maybe there is a possibility of doing, a, being a Twitter poet. I don't know. I mean, you know, and to, and to be honest, I'm not that, I, I, I'm not that interested in it because it is really a shouting match. At least that's what's happening at the moment. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't really use Twitter much anymore either. I think Instagram's my platform of choice. And I think for that, it's a combination of the visual and the, the yeah. prose because <clears throat> it's really important now that, you know, anything that you write in what they call the caption, the text yeah. area, is quite intentional, that it is more engaged or is as engaging as the image, yeah. uh, you know, to actually have any uh, relevance to your audience. And and I, I, I th certainly think in the visual arts, the Instagram is much more important. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's what's going to happen over time is that those people who want different things, they will sort just kind of sort into different uh, apps, you know, uh, because Instagram isn't really very good if you're a musician. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, Vine, which was this kind of six second kind of video. I mean, again, that's not, I mean, can, maybe you can hit a high note and go, ah, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's probably it. This is over and over, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a, you know, YouTube is very good for that because you can put, put up your video, you know, and, and people can watch it. And so I, 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 you know, whereas in the arts, visual arts, not that many people use YouTube. Yeah, that's true. You know, so I, so I just think depending on what your interest is, you know, you, you'll start using certain platforms and not others. Mm. So going back to the book, it's got over 200 artists and I think you've categorized under your chapters as um, those making social comment and then actually a chapter around books themselves as um, the form of the artwork. So how did you deal with translation? So one of the, 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 the key tenets of the book is to talk about the difference between reading a text and reading an artwork. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a painting that has a word on it, you're doing two things. First of all, you're reading the language, which is one type of reading, but you're also reading the whole thing as an artwork, mm -hmm. which is a very different kind of reading. So in this work, all, all the works in this, book, in this book are dealing with that double sense of reading, reading as a language and reading as an artwork. And what happens is your mind has to translate 
the visual part of it, reading an artwork into a verbal language so that you can understand it. So there's already one translation going on. So what happens if the word on the painting is in another language than the one that you know? You have a third type of translation because you have to actually make a translation of that language text into a text that you can read. And then you have the translation of that into the artwork. So there's a painting um, by a French artist which says, uh, Je t'aime, um, Mohammed. Okay, now if you read French, you know it means I love Mohammed. Uh, but if you don't read French, you, you, they're just words, you know, or equally all of the work in Arabic, I don't know what it says because I don't read Arabic. So, when I see it visually, I'm only reading it as an artwork because I cannot read the language. So I'm missing half of the information in that work unless I read the translation, which is provided in the book. But when you see the artwork in situ, you don't have that translation. But the translation in, you know, even like within a book or, you know, it could be the gallery panel that explains an artwork that's in another language, you often lose the cultural context as well, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. That? And that's what I'm talking about in the book is the, the, the reading, the translation. Mm. Every time you translate from one thing to another, you lose information. And so, you know, maybe a painting, you know, even a painting, you know, um, has cultural text and cultural context. Uh, uh, the, the, um, there's a word by Helcid, and I'm even pronouncing his name wrong because, I, again, I don't speak, um, a, a, you know, Arabic, and so I'm sure I, I'm mispronouncing his his name. Um, you know, he's made an installation in Cairo, okay, and it's Arabic across fifty different buildings, and it's an it's huge. It's an incredible thing, and you need to actually be in the city on a certain hill to see it all together. Uh, and it's it's so spectacular, but it's also very culturally specific in that the the area of the city where all the buildings are is the Christian quarter, and in Cairo, it's the Christians who collect all the trash for the whole city. And so they are considered unclean uh, because the, 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 the vast majority of the population are, are, are Muslim and they won't do, do this particular job. That, yes, that's it there. And so historically in Cairo, those citizens who are Kyrenes, I mean, you know, they're, they're native to Cairo, they've, you know, they've been born and raised there for hundreds of years, uh, if not more. Uh, they are looked down upon as dirty. So what he wrote was a very old third second or third century phrase that's, it's, that translates roughly to, if you want to see the sun, you must first remove the moat from your eye. So, you know, he's here he is making a comment in Arabic about the fact that Christians are seen as lesser and, and, say, and saying to the general population in Arabic, you know, look, these people take our rubbish away. That's a great thing because otherwise our street, you know, the city's a mess. And so, you know, there's a huge 
cultural and, and specific um, location of where that is, but also in, in, the, in the kind of social context of, of how those people who take the rubbish away for the whole of the city are seen. So, you know, you need that information, which, you know, obviously I'm providing that in the book, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, he has provided me with that translation. So I have to assume that it's as good as it, it's going to be. Um, but at the same time, there's another one uh, in the book by Michael Shawanase, who is a Thai artist. And the piece that uh, it, it's a, 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 a very large neon words. And the, the whole point of his piece is that in the Thai language, and of course they use different characters again, you know, uh, there is there is no specific translation to this particular word because it all depends on context and tonality because it's a tonal language, just like Chinese, you know, Mandarin and, and Cantonese. You know, they, uh, if you go ma, it means one thing. If you go ma, it means something else. It's the same two letters, M-A, mm -hmm. but it's whether you, how the tone of your voice goes. And so for those of us in the West who, who, where we don't have a tonal language, that's incredibly difficult to learn. Uh, and so if you have a tonal language and you have a context uh, for which the word is used, that it means something else, you know, his work... We had a really hard time even talking to him, you know, uh, I mean, back and forth on email uh, to, to decide what the translation of this piece was, because it, it you know, it, it's meant to be ambiguous. Right. It, you see. And so when a Thai person reads it, mm -hmm. it means something very different to them than us in the West, because we will never get that context for it. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to get across is that language is incredibly beautiful, incredibly subtle, very poetic. And that's why Twitter doesn't really work for me <laughs> because you can't get across all of those uh, possibilities in language. Michael, thanks so much for spending time with me this morning and being on the podcast. It's been really interesting. It's great talking to you always. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me online at michaelpetri.com uh, or they can find me at Mocha London, uh, which is mocha.london. And uh, we've got links to all our other social media there so you can see what we're up to. Amazing. Thank you. And if you're listening to this podcast before the 20th of January, then there's still time to see volume by Remy Ruff installed at Mocha here in Peckham. Thanks so much. Thank you.